Welcome everyone to another episode of the podcast. Before we get into it today, I had noted it in the last episode, but it's something that I'm really excited to do moving forward. I want to hear more about the people who listen to me and the show. You guys have been nothing but loyal and supportive over the time that I've been doing the show. And I now want to know more about you guys. I want to know where you're from, what you do with your life, what you're interested in. Um, so please reach out to me on Instagram at felix.levine or you can email me felixlevinewtg at gmail.com and tell me your story. I'm going to give you a shout out on the next episode. Um, we can have a little back and forth, but I really want to get to know uh, some of these great people that listen to me because, again, it means the world. And I think that it would be really cool for me to to know, again, who is listening, uh, what they're about, what they do, um, because I'm truly, truly interested. So definitely do that. Also. If you haven't done so already, follow me on Instagram at felix.levine to get updated on all the new episodes as they drop. And also check out my website, felix-levine.com. There you'll find every episode, full version, audio, video, photos from every recording, contact information if you want to get in touch with me, all that good stuff on my website. And you can also watch all of my episodes on YouTube. Search me on YouTube, Felix Levine. Subscribe to that channel. Full episodes, highlights of the episodes, all that good stuff is over there. So go check that out today. And my guest today, he is the CEO of Power Home Solar and hosts his very own podcast called The True Underdog Podcast, a top five entrepreneur podcast. Please welcome Jason Waller. And we're live. Jason, thank you uh, for taking the time. I'm, uh, I'm super excited to have you on my show, and uh, I know you're a busy man, so again, thank you for, for taking the time and coming on today. Thanks for having me, Felix. Super excited. So I told you a few seconds ago, there's a little tidbit, a little something that the world doesn't know about you from what's already out there. Uh, I used to play football. I played quarterback from the age of 10 to 14, got kicked off the football team, wrestled two years, was pretty good at wrestling, and then decided that, you know, chasing girls and having fun was more important. It's a big regret of mine not playing football, but I was pretty good. I was a quarterback. I was quick on my feet. I love it. So I want to get into a lot of things because I think that your story is, is obviously fascinating. Um, I want to start with, uh, you know, a young Jason Waller. I mean, what is he like? Is he someone who, you know, is a businessman at heart? Is he someone who expects the world? I mean, what, what's, the, what's the mindset there? Well, I mean, I grew up in a little less than blue collar. My dad worked for AT&T. He was a blue collar worker, worked at a plant where they made corning cable. And my mom worked as a cake decorator, third shift usually at a bakery. So she babysat on the weekends for extra money. And I helped do a paper route. And then I helped my dad do a paper route at night while I went to school. And he got transferred to North Carolina. Um, we would, I grew up in Arizona. He got transferred to North Carolina with his job. And so when we moved there, it was really awkward for me because in Arizona, people didn't really judge you for how much money you have or don't have. It was like a little LA. You were judged by what set you claim or what, what city you're from or who your homies are, how tough you are. So me wearing like, you know, Walmart clothes or Target clothes and some beat up filas, that was okay. When I moved to North Carolina, 
it was a little different. My dad, you know, we moved into a trailer park, which is fine, but you know, people made fun of me. I didn't know that that was a thing. And uh, I would go to school and they'd be like, where do you live? I'd be like, oh, Southbrook. They're like, oh, you're in the trailer park? I'm like, yeah. They're like, oh, it was just awkward. It wasn't the uh, Southern hospitality you'd like to think of. It was more of a judgmental thing. Like it was always a measuring stick. And I just, I saw my parents struggle so much. And, you know, we had a little bit of abuse. I mean, my parents had me at a, at a young age. I ain't mad at them. They're better grandparents than they are parents. <laughs> I love them to death. And, uh, but, you know, they had kids at an early age. And so they were struggling learning as they go. And I wouldn't change a thing, but they were, my dad was pretty hardcore and they would, you know, verbally say some things they probably shouldn't say to me and my siblings. But I think it just, you know, you, you get through it and that's what you, you know. And I got really motivated at an early age, probably 14 or 15, because I didn't like to go to school where fake Tommy Hilfiger some people say things. I didn't like having a crappy car where me and you, Felix, going out to dinner costs more than the car. I didn't like any of that. I didn't like feeling less than because something I couldn't control as a kid. And I watched my dad struggle so much and he worked his tail off, but he really had nothing to show for it, you know, and I didn't want that life. I told myself at an early age, if horse comes by, I'm jumping on. If I have a way to capitalize, you know, what I learned from him is what not to do. Not, not saying what he did was wrong. I mean, I get it. I understand. He played the safe route. I always say in life, you got to play to win. You cannot play to not lose because when you play prevent or you play safety, you know, trying to prevent things and, and be cautious, you're never going to strike and, and win. And so I told myself an early age, I got to, I got to take chances. I got to win. And so I got a little taste of sales in high school. Um, I started selling on the phones, home security systems on the phones and credit card protection. And I was one of the top ones at like 40 people on the phones. And I knew I was like, I've got a knack here. I am a natural at sales. I get people to get excited. So that kind of shift, it was that paradigm of me not having much and wanting more and always feeling less than and finding that path. And I did, I use sales as that path. Now was the great motivator to get out of, uh, you know, your situation or was it, was it money? Was it success? I mean, you know, what was, what was driving you ultimately? Do you feel like at that point? Well, I will tell you, I'm the most competitive son of a bitch you'll ever meet. Like, that's just who I am, right? I, you know, I'm all about winning, Felix. I like you a lot, but if me and you were in a contest and we're playing another team and I've got to rip your ear off for me and you to win, you're going to be deaf and I that's okay. I love we're going to win. I've always been that way. So it's not about money. You know, money happens. It's about winning. It's about being successful. Proven people said I couldn't, you know, my in-laws are part of that. You know, I met my, my wife in high school and her family judged me because I lived in a trailer. They judged me because I didn't have money and I had a crappy car. You know, I, that was a motivator for me to, to prove that, you know, I'm better than that. You know, I didn't finish high school. I didn't finish. I didn't go to college. I had a kid in my teens with my wife and I hated people telling me you can't do this. You won't succeed. I think that was my motivation. The haters, the naysayers, my situation wasn't, I mean, looking back, it wasn't great, but that's what you know. You know, I, I know many more people that had tougher situations than me, uh, including my wife. Her situation, you know, at one time was way worse than mine was. But, you know, everybody's situation is different. What you do with it is really what defies you. And I, I just look for a way to be bigger and better. And, and, I, and I hated feeling less than I hated being judged because of money or success. I just I, I felt like I could 
nobody could hold me down. And I just want to prove people wrong. I like people to eat their own words. I love haters, but I love, I love to, to, to not brag, but to be successful and turn them into fans. And there's nothing like that to watch people say you can't, then you can. And then they're asking you for a job or they're asking to be on your podcast or whatever it is. That's the biggest compliment to me. And, and one of the biggest drivers. How has your mindset changed, if at all, um, you know, from the time that you were young, uh, you know, living in that trailer park to now being successful and having, you know, a huge company? You know, I think a lot of it now, I've got four kids and a grandkid. And so, you know, it's, I've slowed down a little bit about how hungry I am on things, meaning like I still have a hunger to be successful, but I don't have anything to really prove to anybody anymore. So I'm, I get bored. I get ADD. I'm like, how can I be challenged again? So then somebody's like, you'll never break a hundred million sales. Okay. We did that. You'll never break three. Okay. You're not going to go public. Well, we're working on that. You know, it, it, you have to find something, at least I do to challenge me. I have to be challenged or I'm going to get bored. I love what I do. You know, what I do with the solar company with power home solar, you know, we have almost 1800 employees we're as strong as our employees are, right? So that's our base. I can be the face, I can be the leader, I can give us a vision, but we don't win and we don't grow unless they're doing what they need to do. It's because of them. And our culture is fantastic. They all have a mission to be part of an IPO one day or a gain share option one day. And that's what I wanna do for them. So that's what motivates me right now is getting to the next level for the employees. But as you get older, you're your motivators just change a little bit. You know, it's nothing's ever good enough for me, right? I'll never, I'll never feel like I've accomplished anything because I feel like I'm, I always want to kick my goals up higher so I can keep going. As long as I can run, I want to run. Now I want to, we'll talk, obviously we'll talk about power, power home in a second, but I just want to take you back also to, to when you're young, was there ever a time where, you know, you're in that situation, you're living in a trailer park, uh, that you really felt down that you felt like, man, this is, uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it out of here. I don't know if, you know, having those doubts about, you know, your future. Yeah, absolutely. When I got kicked out of high school last day of my sophomore year for cussing out, um, you know, a teacher and a, and a student, you know, inappropriately where I was arguing with somebody and we had a shouting match and said some things I shouldn't. And it was the last day of school. So they're like, well, you're suspended next year. You can't come back. It's like, what? And I won a math, math awards, but then I felt like this isn't good. You know, this isn't acceptable. You know, am I a loser? Like I'm not going to school, you know, am I not going to ever be anything and seeing the people around me, you know, when, when something like that happens and then you look at, you know, your family members or friends, family members and friends, and you start to see, I don't want that life. I don't, I don't want, to be working my tail off every single day and have nothing to show for it. I don't want my kids to yearn for more mm. if, you know, and so it, that was a turning point. And then when I had my daughter, right. So I was 17 when Elizabeth got pregnant, she was 16. I was 18 when she had Hannah and she was 17 and her mom didn't want us to have her. Her mom wanted us to give her up for adoption. In fact, I went to the hospital to go see her born and her mom put Elizabeth under an alias name and I didn't get to go into the hospital to see her born. I was up there taking pictures of kids that weren't mine. I mean, it was a dark moment. It was around that time that a switch went off and I said, you know what? I got this. I'm going to go put a lean on my, my crappy car and go get an attorney and sue for joint custody. Even though Elizabeth wasn't trying to keep 
my daughter from me, but she was a child. She was 17. Her mom was controlling everything. Her mom wanted to give the daughter up for adoption at the time. She doesn't now, but I mean, she, she was scared for a 17 year old. She didn't know any better. And I'm a big believer, whatever you do, you got to own it. So I'm not scared to ever talk about stuff. And she, um, you know, that Elizabeth had Hannah and then she moved in with her grandma and because her mom didn't want her there. And, um, you know, I got to see Hannah for the first time after she was a week old and there, a trigger went off. And I said, Ooh, I've got to grow up. I've got to, you know, it's, it's cool that I'm making some cool money and living on my own, but I've got to really take on the world. I've got a child. And so that was a huge motivator for me as well. How did you grow? I mean, cause you really, in a matter of moments, uh, I think have to, to grow instantaneously to, to adapt to this new role, especially, so you're 17 at the time, correct? Yeah, I was, I just turned 18 you just and turned my wife 18. was 17. Yeah, okay. And I was born. And so, I mean, at that point, uh, you know, is it, you know, in terms of the growth, I mean, is there also a little bit of panic? Is there uh lots of panic, lots of anxiety, lots of stress, lots of what ifs, you know, I was pretty close to my dad. I still am. You know, he was like a mentor where I could call him. I used to call him every night and be like, hey, you know, this is what's going on. What do I do? Because I was a young man and my daughter does it now. I laugh. My Hannah's 22 and she's got an 18 month old daughter. She calls my wife every day. What should I do about this? What should I do? And I always giggle because I'm like, I remember doing that with my dad. Because when you're a young man or a young lady in the world, you got to have the right mentors. And my, you know, my dad did a lot of stuff wrong, but he'd tell me like, dude, don't be like me. Like, you know, he filed bankruptcy like three times when I was a kid. Like, he's like, don't be like me. And so I didn't want to be, he wanted me to be better. And, you know, I would, if I was stuck on something, I was able to call him. And if I wasn't, I had to figure it out. But, you know, I was never one that got into drugs or hung out with, you know, I had some friends that probably weren't the best of friends, but I loved those guys, but I was never the one to try to fit in or try to follow. I was always a leader. I was always a trendsetter. You know, I go to a party and people would drink and hang out. I'm like, I'm the DD. I ain't doing nothing. Right. I am not, you know, I, I always wanted a better life and, you know, Hannah having my daughter just, it just propelled that, that growth of I've got to do bigger things. And so I was pretty mature. This made me mature a lot faster. This made me feel like I was in my mid twenties, not 18. And I had to act like it. And I had to position myself like it for jobs that I applied for. And I think, you know, that's what shows when your back's against the wall and you get nervous, or you get scared when resilience and tenacity kicks in and you're able to trigger that and say, what can I do now to fight back and to be different? You know, I think that's, that's what really tests what you're made of. And, you know, I just, I just fought back, said I wasn't going to, I didn't want to lose. I didn't want to let her down. Right. I had all these other motivators of outside influence. Now it's like, I don't want my daughter to think I'm a, you know, I'm a piece of crap. I want to be good and successful for her. And so that was a big motivator. Now, what I also think is incredibly um, impressive and uh, remarkable is that your your wife is still your wife today, correct? Yes, we've been together on and off. We always kid about this for 25 years, but married, this is our 20th year being married. So we have a 22 year old. So we met when she was 14 and I was 15. But that's also, I think what's even, you know, to, to couple it with the fact that you hear many times stories of, uh, you know, at that point, kids really that uh, have kids early on and, you know, break up because of the stresses, because of X, Y, and Z reason. And you guys managed to stay together. Can you talk about that time when, you know, she's 17, you're 18 and you guys have a kid together. And I'm sure that there's, <laughs> you guys are both figuring this out for, for yourselves and you're both incredibly young. I mean, what's the relationship 
dynamic then? I think, you know, I think God gives us what we can handle, or if you don't believe in God, whatever things are given to you that you can handle and living in the moment, it was hard as hell. It was stressful. We would fight. We were, you said it best. We were kids raising kids. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. We were fighting. We were chaotic. We're screaming. We're breaking shit. We're trying to figure things out. We don't, you know, we can't even be 18. We can't even be 20. We can't even be 22. We're, we have to be an adult. You know, our mom didn't want to help. My parents tried to help. It, it, it just, it was hard. And I wouldn't change it because I looking back and what that put me and Elizabeth through only made us so much stronger. So the rest of the future of our life could be, we could take on anything. And that, that gave me the strength and the, you know, the, the, the tenacity and the courage and confidence to really take, to take chances, to, to feel like, Hey, if we can overcome that, we can do this. And we felt like we were all always defined the odds. I remember when we dated before she got pregnant, there was four couples. We were all together and me and Liz fought before she had Hannah. We always fought. I mean, we all, we still fight. I mean, that's what we do. We argue and it keeps it fresh, right? We, we don't get along, but we love each other. And that's always been our deal. I remember we'd go out to the movies with friends and stuff and people be like, y'all ain't going to last long. And so there was always bets that we'd be the first one to end. We're still together. None of them obviously are. And it's just crazy how things work, but you know, I, she needed me in her life. Her story's pretty dark. You know, her dad went away when she was nine. I mean, she had a tough, tough, tough life. Mom didn't really care for her back then, you can see. And um, and I wanted her. So she needed me and I wanted her. And it was the perfect storm. And we were there to help each other really take it, take it to the next level and get out of our own lives. And having a child together was our glue and our reason to continue and not quit. You know, a lot of people have a kid and they think the world's over. We looked at it completely different. You know, it's, it's really perspective of how you look at things. We looked at it as an opportunity to be awesome parents and try to do great things where some people would be discouraged. And there were days we were discouraged, like this is hard as hell. But, you know, you get excited. And when you have a child, there's nothing like it. And so I, I can never explain to somebody who doesn't have a kid, this is what this feels like, but it feels like nothing ever in the world that anyone's felt until you have that. And then you're like, Whoa, I gotta, I gotta get my crap together. I gotta do great for this human being. That's, that's part of me. So it's, it's, that was our change. I mean, I think that's what God put Hannah in there to really align our lives in the route that it did, which only made us stronger. And I feel bad because when your kids raising kids, you're not the best parents in the world. So at my fourth kid, I've got, you know, 22 year old, a 17 year old, a 13 year old, all girls. And then my son is 10. We're probably better parents to the 10 and 13 year old than we are the 17 to 22 year old. They say it all the time, but you get older, you get wiser. We're really awesome grandparents, just like my parents are. So that's what happens. You evolve and you, the cards you get, you play to win. And so are you guys living together at that point, right? When you, when you had Hannah? No. So that was the problem. So she, would, she was pregnant and her mom was like, you're not having this baby. And I'm like, you know, she, she moved in with me and then she'd want to make up with her mom. She'd go move her mom. Mom stuck her in a halfway house. I went and, you know, got there and she ran out of the halfway house and came back to live with me. And then she wanted to live with her mom. And then, so she went and and lived with her mom. And so we were fighting about that because her mom didn't like me. Her mom, you know, never liked me. Her mom thought I was trailer trash and everything else in the world. And so I talked to her the night before Hannah was, she was going to have Hannah and, and, and labor was going to be induced. And she's like, I'm going to be down there at university at like 10 in the morning. So I, I go over there at 11 with my friend 
and uh, I see her mom and her sister outside and then they see me and they run in. I'm like, all right. So I pull up and I'm like, Hey, I'm here to see Elizabeth and give the last name. They're like, she's not here. I'm like, I just saw our family. She's here. No, I was like, well, she's given birth to my daughter. I'm she's here. I mean, so the lady felt bad for me. She's like, you can go up there and see the kids, but there's no names on there. And you know, you can take pictures or whatever. So I took pictures of like eight random kids. Didn't know which one was mine. None of them were, she didn't have handed two. But that was a, a wake up call of, you know what? I'm not going to let her mom dictate my life. You know, I have a motto. I say it in my book that's coming out. I say it in the podcast, you got to create your own map. Nobody, nothing can choose what the hell you want to do. You get to, period. That's your right. And so I was like, all right, I've got rights. I'm going to do this. I'm taking, you know, and that kind of bonded us together. Now, look, we were still kids raising kids. That's why we didn't get married till Hannah was two and a half years old. We'd play house and then we wouldn't. And then we'd play house and then we wouldn't. I mean, you know, we, we had to figure things out in our own life and build a foundation before we could really have marriage. Wow. And do you feel like, uh, uh, you know, this kind of chapter in your life um, was pivotal in, you know, creating the businessman that you are today and the, the individual? I mean, how did that shape the person you are today? Because, you know, you're, what, what are you, you're around 42 or so? 41. 41. 41. A, a young 41. Uh, you know, you still have a, a lot of life ahead of you, um, you know, but you've had a, a huge, I mean, more than what a lot of people have in 80 or 90 years of life already. How do you think that's shaped you into the, into the person that you are today? I think all of the things I ever go through, hard, easy, great, all the failures, all the tough things I learn from, you know, I, I, I get better from. And I wouldn't change anything. You know, I have no regrets. I try to live life as optimistic as possible. You know, I am hungry for success. I am, you know, motivated by, you know, defying the odds, but I wouldn't change it because it, it's, you know, the pressure of I've got to support a, a baby and my girlfriend and we're kids, the pressure of her family thinks I'm gonna be a loser. I wanna prove them wrong and use my black Amex to fly them around the world and buy dinner all the time, which by the way, I still do every single time. I pull it out, I got dinner, it's cool, it's on, it's on me, I got it, ah, I got it. So, you know, little things that, you know, you utilize to do that. And I mean, I had haters, even in my family, you know, and, and friends that, you know, doubted me. It was just hard and you've, I don't stay angry, but you want to support yourself and, and, and be around people that are supportive and that want to, you to be a better, you know, I always think there's three kinds of people in life that are watching you do what you're doing. There's ones that truly are inspired by you and are proud of your success and want you to do well. And they encourage you and they want to learn from you and they want to share anything they know. Then there's people that are insecure about themselves that sit on the sidelines and watch you from a distance and they're, they're just insecure. So they don't know how to, talk to you or really support you. And then those are that what I call, they, they kind of just grin fuck you. They're the real haters. They pretend they like you. And then they tell everybody they're only successful because of this. And they find every excuse and every reason to break down your success. And I love those people. And here's why they're so worried about what I'm doing. Well, I'm worried about what I'm doing and I'm winning because they're not worried about them. They're worried about me. And so I've had to deal with that. Oh my gosh, you have a kid. Oh my gosh, you're not married. Oh my God. You see what I'm saying? I've had to deal with every aspect layer as a young man to an adult to, 
you know, running a business. I mean, I ran a business. I don't have any college degree. I don't have high school education. I'm teaching people how to sell that have college education. I was intimidated. It took a few bad months for me to lose my cool and, and get the brass to be like, yo, this is my show. You guys got to do what I want to do. So all of those things are lessons in life. All of our struggles, all of our pain, as long as you're breathing after it and your survival rate's hundred percent, it's just a lesson. Now, what do you, what advice do you give to, to some of those young men or women that are, you know, living in a, in a trailer park or living the way that you did when you grew up that, you know, uh, don't have perhaps at least now, um, the kind of mentality that you did, uh, when you, you know, were trying to make it out of there, if you will. Well, they're letting their situation defeat them. And that's a choice. Nobody can sit here and blame everybody else for what you do with your life. You know, Oprah was raped and had all kinds of issues and she lived a wonderful life. You know, people have problems and everybody's problems are different, but they're different to each individual. Something that might not bother you could destroy me and vice versa. So you, you can't really look and say whose life's better or worse. What you could say is if you allow that to dictate your map, if you allow outside influence to control your destiny, what you're intended to do, then you've already lost. And everything you think and everything you say is probably going to come true. If you don't think you're going to get out of there, you never will. If you don't think you can get a good job, you just won't. If you don't think you can go to college, you're not going to. It's all mentality. And I think that for those people that aren't built that way, they need to start finding a way to get that way or start failing fast. Don't just sit in limbo. Try something, fail, learn. Try something, fail, learn. All of those failures, we always just talk about success. Tons of failure has led to my success. Trying to sell, that didn't work, that didn't work, that didn't work. You got to beat yourself against the wall until the wall has a hole and then you keep going. And I think that the other thing I would say is success isn't money. You know, I've been poor and I've been rich. And I will tell you, stress is a lot lower when you're poor. Believe it or not, it really is. And my therapist, I think everybody should have a therapist, always says, um, you know, the more you get in life, the more depressed you get. I've never had depression in my life until about eight months ago. Kind of been battling a little bit here and there. I'm like, whoa, what's going on? What is this feeling? Why do I feel like an outsider? And I'm like hovering. This is odd. My life's good. What's wrong with me? something that you can't control. I've accepted that. It's not, it's not that I'm broken. It's not that people are wrong to me. It's a chemical imbalance. You've got to figure out, you've got to be able to master and take control of it, not let it control you. And, and so, you know, and it's true. I asked my therapist, what do you think it is? She said, well, because when you don't have goals and things to hit, you know, you get the house you want, you get the car you want, you got the business you want. What are you chasing? That's why a lot of famous rich people, they have a lot of depression problems. There's nothing they're chasing. So you got to find something else to chase. Success is filling your hole in your chest. Success is saying, I've got something here that is missing and I want to fill it in and be happy. You can be a teacher and teachers are way underpaid, but you can be a teacher and be the most successful person in the planet because you're being filled and you're filling other people. That's what success is. That is getting to the next level. It's not how much money you have or what cars you drive. Those are just things that come with different levels of, of, of professional positions that you have during a success journey. But I feel like for me, whether I had a lot of money or I didn't, I'd still be the same person with the same mentality and the same charisma and wanting the same goals. That just happened to happen. And you got to give back. I believe good things happen to good people and you always got to give back. I love everything that you just said. And I think that, um, you know, there's so many different topics I want to hit, but I think it's really interesting to hear you, uh, you know, be open about battling depression for the first time about eight months ago. And I'm curious if, if you want to get into it at all, but, uh, 
you know, because I'm sure a lot of people listening out there probably relate on some levels where for their, you know, the whole first part of their lives, they never felt that way. And then, you know, maybe they hit this point for you. What was that point? I mean, I know eight months ago was also around COVID season. So I'm sure I think that had something to do with it. I think not being able to have a normal schedule hit me. I think the, you know, where am I going to go from here? You know, I, I started this podcast that took off and it was like, I felt like, and I'm not, I felt like things were coming too easy. I really did. I felt like things were coming too easy, too fast. And I was bored and I was pinching myself and it was surreal. And I was having out of body experiences. And I was like, something's wrong with me. And my wife would be like, you're being weird. And I'd be in la la land, listening to music and being in my own little zone. And I've never done that. I'm a happy go lucky networking kind of guy. And it just, it separated me a little bit. And I can't explain how it happened. I, I can't find the one thing that put me there. You know, I can only, you know, assume that it was a, a few things that, you know, yeah, I, I've never believed in weather depression. I live in Michigan now, you know, it's gray. Maybe that's part of it. I know that bothers my wife some. That's why we're looking at Florida and back and forth from Michigan, Florida. But, you know, I, or is it, you know, not going to an office? I work from home and do the podcast from home and interacting with people. Or is it, you know, my kids are growing older and I'm feeling old. Or is, I mean, the list goes on. Or is it at work? You know, you want to take things to the next level. All these things that stack and it's like, how do I get better control of it? And so when I realized that I was kind of an outsider and I was really edgy, I've always kind of had somewhat of a temper. It's helped me along my life. It's okay to have a temper as long as you keep control. But then I would go one, two, 10 all the time. And I really wanted to get gears in there and slow it down. And so I started, you know, I started talking, I've talked to therapists for two or three years and not because I was depressed. I just like to talk to therapists, get some outside influence. I think it's good and healthy to understand who you are, how you can get better to get different things you can teach yourself. I love that. But then it was like, Hey, I think I'm depressed. Like, really? I was like, yeah, I don't something's wrong with me. And I started explaining. They're like, yeah, it's a little depression. So I I recently tried some medicine. Um, But I think a lot of it, I think, is COVID. I didn't get a chance to work out. I'm a, a creature of habit. If I can go work out and get my endorphins up and go do cryo, I am. I feel like a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. If I don't, I'm cranky. I'm grumpy. I feel like the Tasmanian devil. I want to eat someone's face, right? I have to let my energy out somehow. And that was getting to me. And not being able to entertain and hang out with people was getting to me. And my kids sitting in the house and not being able to do anything, was all that was getting to me. I'm human. And- Finally, you know, things opened up. We went to Florida a little bit, went to North Carolina a bit. Michigan's starting to open up. Again, gyms opened. I got back on a schedule. I'm feeling a lot better. Um, but it's it's a serious thing. I mean, my wife's had it her whole life, and I never understood it till eight months ago. I was always like, man, just wake up, man. The glass is half full, you know. And sometimes people can't do that. Sometimes they need a little extra support and help. And I think it's it's ever more inspiring when, you know, because so many people listen to you and look up to you to hear you open up about it. And, you know, I appreciate you opening up about it because I know that um, there are people out there that, you know, feel like they're alone. And to hear someone who is successful like you going through some of those similar thoughts, I think is uh, is humbling to a, to a certain extent. Um, yeah. My question for you next is, you know, uh, <laughs> Power Home has never been better post-COVID from what I'm reading, from what I'm reading. Yeah, it's wild, isn't it? Um, <laughs> For the people out there that aren't familiar exactly with Power Home Solar, will you just give a, a very quick gist? I always feel like it would be disrespectful for me to do it. Um, 
you know, and then talk about this kind of pre-COVID, post-COVID world in, in your company where, you know, you almost more than doubled your employees in that time. I mean, it's kind of taken off to another level. Yeah. And, and thank you. The <clears throat> Basically, we give people an opportunity to own their power, not rent their power. It's the biggest message we've always done. And we started in 15. This was my third business. I opened up from the ground up. I did pretty good on the first two and sold it, made a little bit of money. But in this one, I, boy, I didn't expect what was going to happen. 15 and 16, I lost some money. I gave all my money back. I sold my house. My wife was giving me the stink eye. The kids were pissed. I had my back against the wall again. I was like, something's wrong. And in 17, I was able to turn it around and finally started getting a paycheck after two years of being open and started to grow the company the right way. You know, you take all your lessons that you've learned and the wins and the struggles and you try to implement it in a new company and there's still adjustments and some unknowns and you got to overcome that. <laughs> and we switched to American made panels in 17. We doubled in size. We continued to grow. And then in COVID, when we finished 2019, uh, we had about 700 employees and we ended up with 185 million in sales. So we have grown this, this massive company. We've done in solar for five NFL teams, one major league baseball team uh, and a college. And we don't make money on the teams that do it. They get very little solar or enough to, to you know, where it's just, it covers your cost. But we do that for credibility. So we're in a home, we're like, hey, we've installed solar at Bank of America Stadium or hey, we've installed solar at Heinz Field. It allows the customer to go, oh yeah. yeah. Makes them feel a little better. It's all about a brand. Mm -hmm. And so- in November of 19, they decided to make me the face of it. I didn't want to do it. We hired this ad agency called Sussman Agency. Alan Sussman's a genius. But I had, we were going to hire Morgan Freeman and we had this commercial laid out and it was going to cost us $5 million to hire Morgan Freeman. And I laid out this commercial and the guy goes, hold on, we're not going to spend $5 million on Morgan Freeman. If your company needed one more sale, who would you get? I said, me. They said, then we're going to put you in 25 million homes and you're going to be this. And I said, I don't want to be. They're like, no, I'm like, nope, I don't want to be. They're like, no, this is what you're going to do. And because you're going to do this, we can utilize that money to put you in more homes and more people will have a trust factor. They're like, you know, think of, you know, uh, the popcorn you got or, or, or whatever his name is. And you've got Colonel Sanders at, you know, at, um, at uh, KFC and you've got, you know, the girl at Wendy's and you've got, you know, the list goes on. He's like, you need to have a face for solar. You need to have a, I said, okay. So they sold me on this and we, we did the new campaign, the end of 19. And right before COVID hit, you know, things started to take off a little bit. We decided um, to go with battery and storage. And we're like, look, I'm a big believer. Everybody needs battery and storage so they can handle their time of use. And so they can charge their EV and in case there's ever power outages, they don't have to worry about power being out. Everything they produce during the day, they can utilize. Well, we did that and then COVID hit. And then we had a decision to make because the first three weeks that COVID was hit, you know, everyone's watching the news. Everyone's looking at what's going on. You know, we're getting calls. We're on, I'm not kidding, Felix, we're on six, eight hour calls with attorneys, state health departments, local jurisdiction. You know, we're in 10 states and 16 locations. We're like, what do we do here? What do we do here? We're trying to make a decision. We had a heated argument and a heated conversation amongst the executives. There's five of us. And most of them wanted to close the doors and furlough everybody for three or six months to see what happens. This was in March, April of 2020. And it was the day after GM just took a pay cut, the executives took a pay cut to stay open. And I just couldn't do it. And this is before the unemployment stuff, which didn't help us because we're sitting with 700 plus employees. 
And this is before, um, you know, all the testing they were doing and, you know, all the things that, and the companies get money and, and unemployment for the employee, you name it before any of that nonsense happened. We, um, I said, we can't close. We got, you know, Stacy, who's a customer service rep and she's got to go home and buy diapers. We got Mike, who's an installer. He's the only provider for his family. We got Carl who does this. We got Jenny that we can't do it, dude. We, I'll tell you what we're going to do. The executives are going to go off payroll indefinitely. And that was a big pill for a couple of them to swallow. And I said, that's what we're doing. And we're going to tell our vendors, including the teams, we're not paying you till, till, you know, fall. We're going to post payments, pause payments during the summer because there's COVID. We want to go ahead and try to make sure we can stay open for our employees. Well, we wanted to share that message with the employees because we didn't want them to think that we were going to stay open to be profitable. Like the executives just went off payroll. We were staying open so they had jobs. And we were an essential service. We followed all the guidelines, the masks, the, the, the social distancing, the hand sanitizer, you name it. But there were some rumblings in the company. Oh, they just want to stay open to do this. So <clears throat> I personally went to one of the offices here in Michigan, filmed myself walking through, telling them that we went off payroll, sent an elaborate email proved by the attorneys and our PR team to the, to the entire organization of this is the plan and this is why we're staying open. And that fear is not my place to say who is scared and who isn't. Everybody's situation is different. You know, I've got a kid that's got autoimmune deficiencies. That's, I was very nervous about COVID. There's some that didn't care. So <laughs> I had to make sure that each one of them knew that it was okay to be scared and stay home and that they would utilize their vacation. They'd utilize their PTO. But after that, we would, they would be what we call, um, uh, exempt, like uh, non-active. So they're there, but they can come back when ready. We're just not going to pay them. So we rolled that out and about 20% of our staff decided to stay home and that's okay. And all of the sudden, you know, we did our new commercials um, with the battery. Things started booming. More customers wanted it. More customers were at home. More customers wanted to have solar. More customers were worried about the power going out. We were like, whoa, what is going on here? On top of we were adding employees like crazy people that were laid off in other industries wow. that want to be part of something great. We were getting, we were losing certain folks and we were able to get rid of C players and add a and B players in different departments. And it was game changing. And then that took off. And because we took the pay cut and shared it, there were sales leaders and directors that are like, Hey, we want to volunteer part of our bonus on this check to do this and this. We were able to stay open and continue to grow and capitalize. And after a few months, we got back on payroll. And, you know, I'm glad to say as we ended 2020, we ended up with 1700 employees and 385 in, in revenue. And we have a run rate the second half of the year of about 600 million. So, you know, we're continuing to climb. I think a lot of it is the battery storage option that we did. I think it's the world we live in now. I think it's the future. We're the only ones trying to get customers all in on everything we do because we don't just do solar we do energy efficiency battery and storage and the panels and during that time you know in the end of 18 beginning of 19 i won the entrepreneur of the year award they were like you got to write a book i was like dude I, I never read a book and uh they're like well maybe do a podcast so i started the podcast playing it a little bit and it boomed it took off i was like holy moly well, podcast doesn't pay me, right? Power Home pays me. But the podcast is a way for me to give back, build relationships, network, tell my story, get people excited. I had a guy, I talk about him all the time, Jeremy, who is a um, car, he does details cars here in Michigan. He's done it for two years. 
the biggest compliment you can get. He comes up to me and he's like, Hey, I've been listening to your podcast and I've been scared to open up a second cleaning uh, detail truck. I've been scared. He said, but your message, you know, scared money don't make money. I said, I'm done. I'm in. And I went and did it and it's successful. And it gave me chill. I was like, ah, that's what it's about. And that's why I do the podcast. I'm like, this makes sense. So, you know, that started to take off power home solars growing. We're winning all these awards. So while I'm leveraging, you know, myself, my brand power homes brand the best way I can, because the ultimate goal is one day to go public or have a lucrative event for all the employees and to help and empower as many people as I can to own their power and control their destiny, whether it be in business or life, however I can help, whether it be messaging, I do, you know, whether it be the podcast, whether it be, uh, you know, a book I'm working on, whether it be working for us, you know, I just try to inspire and I just try to, to build, uh, you know, we have a motto at Power Home Solar called BAM, it's build a movement, one panel, one customer, one employee, one vision, one mission at a time, that's it. And so we, we all have the same message, we all have the same way we're rowing for success. And now we're just going to take a quick break to talk to you about my longtime sponsor in U.S. Wellness Meats. U.S. Wellness Meats has over 400 all-natural whole foods in their online store at uswellnessmeats.com. All of their beef, lamb, bison, and dairy products are 100% grass-fed and grass-finished. They also offer pasture-raised heritage pork, free-range poultry, and wild-caught seafood. They specialize in every single diet under the sun and have hundreds of paleo, keto, Whole30, sugar-free, and AIP-friendly options. All of their foods are raised on family farms dedicated to sustainable and ethical principles, so you will never have any pesticides, herbicides, antibiotics, growth hormones, or GMOs. They ship anywhere in the country for only $9.50 for shipping and handling, and most orders are delivered within 24 to 48 hours of leaving their facilities. Go to uswellnessmeats.com today and when you use promo code podcast, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, you'll receive 15% off store-wide savings. Again, go to uswellnessmeats.com, use that promo code podcast, and you'll get 15% off of every single order. Go check it out today. Now let's get back into it. And for people out there that, that you know, have heard of solar or aren't really too familiar or have been contemplating getting it. I mean, what's your big pitch to them in terms of, you know, this idea of owning your power and, you know, why the future is in solar? Well, I'll ask you, Felix, what's the longest, what, what, in your home, what is the longest bill you have in your house? Uh, probably electricity. Right, most people say mortgage. They're like, oh, it's my mortgage. Nope, mortgage has an end date, but your power bill and your water bill, they're right. forever, right. right? And the interest rate on that, it just goes up. Whenever they increase rates, your power bill goes higher. So what this allows you to do is people think they're buying solar and they're adding a bill to their house. They're really shifting a bill. They're reducing their utility bill significantly. And they're taking that savings and using that to pay for a loan for solar. That has an end date. It doesn't go up on them. It doesn't add interest on them. They don't inflate the rates on them. There is an end date and no penalty to pay it off to where now instead of, you know, people think I just got to go write a check for like $30,000 solar. No, I ask. we ask our, our customers, you know, how, you know, how much do you pay for power a month? Well, 400 bucks. Great. If we can get it down to a hundred bucks and finance the solar for under 300, now you're saving money and you have an end date. Does that make sense? Light bulb goes off. Yeah. Then we talk about battery and storage. Why is it important? Well, 
time of use, power outages, EV, you know, time of use is where the utility companies are going to go to you, Felix, and say, well, if you've got an electric car, we're going to charge you from 8 p.m. to right. 8 a.m. double to charge because we don't have the power on the grid. Our infrastructure is not built for it. So you're going to have to pay a premium. Well, if you have solar, you don't. You produce the energy. You use it when you need it. So that is how solar works. The, the, the mindset of people is like, oh, it's super expensive. I got to write a big check. Nope. We're shifting one payment for another with an end date. Plus you're saving the planet and you're going green and we use American-made panels and you never become powerless. The list goes on. Now for you, how do you, you know, I mean, even in the last, you know, eight, 10 months, the company's drastically changed and grown. Um, you know, where, where do you go from here? I mean, do you think about that? Yeah, we're in transaction mode right now. Probably going to bring on, we have a minority partner. We're probably going to bring on maybe another minority, maybe a majority partner to help get us to the next level to do IPO or some kind of, you know, lucrative transaction for the employees, uh, maybe a strategic, hap, you know, happening. But, you know, I just, whatever we can do to grow the brand, you know, we're in 10 states right now. We're going to add a couple more states this year. We're adding jobs, we're adding locations. You know, we want to try to get as many customers that, you know, to own their power and, and better themselves and put some money in their pocket as possible. You know, in the world we live in today, people, you know, they want consistency. They want to be able to know what they're going to pay. They want to be able to control things. And, you know, you can control your power this way. You can't the other way. And uh, so our company, we're going to continue to grow this. And, you know, we we're on pace, you know, our goal for 2022 is a billion dollars in revenue. And, you know, we think we'll do six or 700 is on the budget this year. So we know that being conservative, we'll do a billion next year, but why not us, right? Why not us be the biggest and, and best American made solar company out there for all of our customers and all of our employees? Why not us is the message I always tell our folks. And, and there is no reason why not us. That's what we're on a mission to do. So you said you're in 10 States or is that, or like, can people in, uh, those outside state, like, are you in New York City for or in New York, for example? I'm not. So we're in North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, okay. Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, Missouri, Georgia, Tennessee. So it's 11 states effective tomorrow. We're in and, Georgia tomorrow. And you know, how does what's that process like when you when you're growing to to another state, right? So we do a lot of things. You know, people think you just open it up. You got to look at the cost of power. You got to look if the utility company is friendly. You got to look at the competition. Like if there's a if there's competition out there giving solar a bad name, we're not going to jump in that market. We're going to jump into a market where we can kind of create the education and how solar works and give it a good flavor. Uh, we also want to work with great utility companies cost of power has got to be high in New York. It's atrociously high, right. but there's, but they do a lot of leases there. We're not, we don't really do leases. We do purchases. We want customers to own it. We don't want them to rent power from another power company. That's not what we do. And so that's why we stayed out of New York and California, but um, you know, we've got Georgia on the mind, Wisconsin, Florida, you know, Texas, those are the future States we do, but everything aligns based on, you know, what is the population how is the utility company? What is the cost of power and how much production are they getting on, on the PV side? Now, for you as a brand, as Jason Waller, as, a, as an individual, where do you see or hope, uh, you know, you're, you are in five years, 10 years, 20 years down the line? Do you think about it like that? I do. So I, I always try to keep short term girls goals of 30, 60, 90 and 180 days. But when I envision is what I like to call it. What, what three years or five years or 10 years looks like, you know, three years, I'm still doing what I'm doing right now, right? I'm still growing power home. I'm not going anywhere, do, building the podcast, writing books, 
doing some, you know, some speaking five years, maybe the same, definitely seven. I'm out. You know, my son is 10 getting ready to be 11 when he's out. I think that's when I can hang it up, but I'm not going to hang it up until my employees get paid until something happens for them. I ain't going anywhere. So once that happens, then it's a conversation, but I'll be bored. I need something to do. I love the podcast, but I can only do so many of those. I do two a week right now. And then I'm on a handful a month. Uh, but I wrote the book. I've got eight chapters out of 10 done. I don't write it myself. I have a ghostwriter because I, yeah, I can't write. I would misspell everything. Trust <laughs> me when I tell you. And uh, that's going really well. I love doing that, but I'm going to do a lot of speaking engagements. I want to do a lot of training seminars, you know, similar like a Grant Cardone, Tony Robbins. I don't think I'll ever be that big. And I'm not going to say never, but that's, you know, I just want to be able to make a difference and help people out there. And I'm not as flashy as Grant Cardone and doing that stuff. I do like Tony Robbins and the way he approaches things, but I think I got a little bit more sales experience than him and building companies up. So I just want to be able to take that and, and do some speaking engagements and helping businesses and individuals out. Uh, in the future and that seven year mark going forward. And that's why I'm, it's important to build the brand. It helps power home, but it also helps me in the second chapter of my life. Now I'm always curious, um, you know, many, hopefully many long years of healthy, happy life ahead of you. Do you ever think about legacy? Do you ever think about how you hope to, to be remembered one day? I do. And that's why it's so important to do the right thing by my employees, right? My family, I'm always going to do right by, and they're going to love me and remember me, but how you impact strangers or people that you don't see every day that you're not related to, so how you impact people you're not entitled to impact to, to me is really building a great legacy. And I just want, you know, all the employees to be like, man, they, they did what they said they would do. And, you know, you see Microsoft did that Amazon did, why not us? Right. So I want to be able to do that because they're the foundation. I'm, I fight for them. I struggle for them. I grow for them. I do everything I can for the brand, not me, for the brand. Everything's about the brand and which is the company, Power Home. And I think as long as I can do that and as long as I was able to help and inspire people, then I, I feel like I've done good on leaving a legacy. It's not about, you know, being the most famous or being the richest or any of that stuff. As long as I've just empowered and impacted some people and I did the right things for my family and my friends and the employees, I'm good. I don't need anything sexy, big, massive, anything. I love it. People can follow you on Instagram at Jason Waller. Bam. Website, yep. jasonwaller.com, the true underdog podcast, of course, listen everywhere. And then uh, if you're interested in getting some some solar, powerhome.com. Jason, uh, truly a, a pleasure and honor to have you on. Uh, you know, when you talked about those those different kinds of people that uh, that are there, I, I definitely fall into that first category of people that uh, – are inspired by you. Me too. Isn't that great when you hear people do great? That's great that you feel that way. I love people like that. I, uh, you know, in hearing your story, it's, it's absolutely incredible. Um, it inspires me. It motivates me. It, uh, so, you know, continue doing you. I'm rooting for you. And, uh, I hope one day if you're in New York city, you know, we bring you into studio and I get to meet you, but, uh, thank you so much, Jason. I appreciate it. Thank you, Felix. I appreciate it.